Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts. So let's select a game and press start. The name Start. Select and Start. I'm your host, Kiefer, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. He is the host of the Force 5 podcast. It's Jason Kleberg. Jason, how are you today? What's going on, Kiefer? Thanks so much for having me. I am doing well, and I hope you're doing well also. Yeah, you know, uh, work always keeps me busy, but I am always stoked <laughs> to talk about video games with new people, and it's, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, so it's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Yeah, we got to get you on there soon. Yeah, when the time comes, listen out for that. But until then, I want the audience to get to know you a little bit. For the people who don't have the pleasure of knowing you, Jason, what do you do and what do you like? Yeah, so uh, movies are my bread and butter. I run the Force 5 podcast, which is a show about top five lists. So every week, uh, well, every show, I have a new guest on and the top five list topic is always chosen by the guest. So I'm just kind of going by what they are passionate about and we come up with our five lists and then we talk about those picks on air. It's a really fun way to get to know people and tastes. And I always learn about something cool, a cool movie that I've never heard of. And yeah, you never know what people are going to come up with. I just did top five Korean films. I've got top five Shaw Brothers films coming up, top five sidekicks. So all kinds of cool stuff that people are into. What do you think the most out there top five you've had so far yet? Ooh, uh, you know, the hardest one that I had to come up with and this is somebody that's been on your show eric peacock from soundtracker came on and we did top five movie soundtrack one hit wonders and it was a real fun topic to do but shit it was so tough to research that i I was really going through soundtracks from the 90s and, and trying to figure out what was a one hit wonder but that was a really fun show to do yeah, as for me, what I like, uh, obviously, movies are my my main passion. I collect movies. So downstairs, I got just shelves of Blu-rays and DVDs and 4K discs. I think I'm up to close to 2,000 there. Uh, still a big gamer. I game when I can. I got a four-year-old, so it's tougher to game these days, but I'm still trying to make it work. Still into sports, uh, mainly football and, and family. But yeah, those are my main passions. I mean, I'm a, a big movie fan big gamer and when those things combine like the the game we're going to talk about today it's like heaven on earth for me right yeah no it's a it's a phenomenal game and one that i've really grown to love uh well you picked the game and i had played this game before (laughs) but i never really got to sit down with it before so thank you for bringing such a such an important game onto the table so i could really grow this fondness that i have for it wait wait you never you didn't play this when you were younger it's, this, it's so weird, right? So I had a Nintendo 64 growing <laughs> up, but we never owned GoldenEye. GoldenEye was a game other people had. So I'd only really like uh-huh. experienced the multiplayer part of it. And I wasn't very good at the multiplayer as a kid. So this is really the first time that I've really come into it as like the full game. Okay, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that aspect then. Okay, cool. Continue on. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. And we ha- we'll have plenty of time to talk about GoldenEye as a video game. But before we do that, we do just have to get a little bit of a sense of what your gaming taste is like. You've talked about how you try to game when you can, when you aren't focusing on family football or film. So let's talk about games a little bit. Uh, we have to check your credentials here because gamers like to gatekeep. What is your relationship like with gaming? All right, for this, I got to take you all the way back to the 80s. I am an old man, and I was, my first gaming system was the NES. And it was cool. You know, I had Super Mario Brothers on there. I had a couple of games, but my gaming passions didn't really grow to what they are today until my two loves came together. And my first love was always baseball. 
So when I was growing up, I played baseball constantly. I was on traveling teams. I was a really good baseball player. And I got to say 89, maybe 89 or 1990, I got baseball stars for the NES. And that's where my love for gaming really blossomed because you could play baseball until it was dark out. You could play baseball if you had friends with you. But after dark, you have no friends super early in the morning. What are you going to do? I threw on baseball stars. Now, are, are you familiar with baseball stars? Did you ever play that on NES? No, I didn't. Baseball stars is was a formative game for me because it was the first game where you could create your own teams. And it wasn't like you could create them from scratch, but you could take, they had like, I think eight teams and you could take these eight teams and modify them to change their team name and change the players' names. So I would take the box scores from the newspaper and I would create eight teams from those box scores that I was following in, in baseball. And every couple of days I'd switch those up, but I just loved that aspect of it. And then as you get older, you start to get other systems. And we did not have money as a family when I was younger. So it was pretty rare when you got a new system. But for Christmas, I'll never forget my uh, Sega Genesis. We, we opened up the Sega Genesis and it was like the most amazing thing. And then again, uh, Streets of Rage, Altered Beast, Golden Axe, Toe Jam and Earl, which still bumps, by the way. All these really cool Genesis games came out, and then I got hooked on World Series Baseball, which was a Sega property, one of the best baseball games ever, and I would play the hell out of this thing. Again, when I wasn't outside playing baseball, I was playing World Series Baseball, and uh, I remember, this is going to sound so nerdy, but I used to have this spiral-bound notebook that I would keep next to the controller, and I would keep box scores for every game. I wish I still had them. I had pages and pages and pages of box scores from the games that I just played. I would keep these these things and uh, loved that system, loved that game. I even played that game on an emulator. I, I had a job not too long ago where I was flying all over the country and I would play that in like 2017 all flight long. Just loved it. Yeah, Sega Genesis was amazing. And then the N64 came along and the N64 really kind of upped my gaming love to another level with games like GoldenEye, which we're going to talk about, and uh, the WWF games that came out for it, specifically like uh, No Mercy and the WCW versus NWO Revenge. And this is around the time when I got my first job, and now I could buy my own games. And that, again, took it to another level where, you know, I remember getting my first paycheck. I worked at a grocery store. My very first paycheck was 65 bucks and 65 bucks was exactly what Turok the dinosaur hunter cost. <laughs> so I went straight to the mall from getting my first check and bought Turok. And then, uh, you know, it just kind of grew from there. I started working at Best Buy. So all of a sudden now I was getting discounts on video games. I was selling video games at that store and, uh, and I never stopped. Now, if you look in my house, I've got Geez, I, I have two TVs, but I have four main systems. I have a PS5, Xbox One X, Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S. I just ordered a Steam Deck, and I still have my N64 ready to go for when my kid's ready to play it. I've got an Xbox 360 because I have a whole big rock band set up, and I will never let that thing go. <laughs> and then I've got uh, PlayStation Vita, which is modded, and that's what I used to play all those emulation games on when I was when I was traveling. So yeah, and, and 
still play it a couple times a week now, but yeah, that's that's what my gaming history looks like. So I've been in it since the 80s. No, that's definitely a huge uh, commitment to gaming there. I don't even have an Xbox in the house and you've got three of them by my count. Which brings me to my next question. You mentioned that the Nintendo 64 was a game changer. You mentioned uh, having three Xboxes in the house, your rock band setup. What do you think, in your personal opinion, is your favorite uh, console? Ooh, favorite console. That's a tough one. Um, You know, there's different periods in... Oh, man, this is a tough one. This is a tough question. (laughs) I'm going to say Xbox. I'm going to say Xbox because I've had so many great memories with the xbox ecosystem from the xbox 360 where you know what i don't even know if it was the 360 it might have been the the first xbox the original xbox where project gotham racing 2 came out and we would have tournaments at my apartment for for that game there was a a game that we kind of made up have you ever played project gotham racing 2 i played at a friend's house like years and years ago Okay, so, I mean, there was an immense uh, selection of cars that you could choose, but there was the fastest car, which was like a McLaren or something, and there was the slowest car, which was a Mini Cooper. And people online created a game that you needed four players for, but two people would choose the slowest cars, and then two people would choose the fastest cars. And it was, we basically made a team game to where the fastest car had to get their slow car across the finish line first. And it was a makeshift game. It was never anything official, but there was a huge community of it. We called it Cat and Mouse. And uh, it was so much fun because the levels would take like 10 minutes to get this slow car down this one hill. And you just, as the fast car, were pushing your slow car and then trying to fuck their slow car up at the same time. And uh, it was just so much fun. And then that turned into like Mortal Kombat tournaments at the house, which evolved into Rock Band, which is, you know, one of the ultimate party games, in my opinion. And the Xbox is still the system that I'm playing today. So I I guess any iteration of Xbox, but, you know, N64 is right there. N64 is a close second. No, yeah, the Nintendo 64 was very much like a small library, but a lot of them were heavy hitters. And I'm definitely appreciating that because I had to do a lot of research on a Nintendo 64 games for this episode, uh, especially <laughs> Rare, who were just like putting out banger after banger in like that five year window. Mm-hmm. And that Project Gotham Racing Story 2 is kind of like what I love about gaming so much. The sort of house rules that sort of become yeah. <laughs> bigger rules in themselves. That's why Forge Mode in Halo was so cool, seeing other people bring their own house rules or customized levels into the online space and it becoming an own, its own phenomenon unto itself. Sure griff ball and things like that no yeah no i just really love those kinds of things like making fighting game tournaments with certain rules I, i'm just all over that like you talked about uh, making uh keeping track of your box scores and games and that's just kind of what i remember doing a lot of as a kid not necessarily with baseball but just like keeping track of scores because games weren't really storing statistics like that and i just obsessed over that kind of that cut those kinds of numbers as a kid so i you know you and i are one and the same even if we aren't quite the same age <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun, you know, keeping track of those stats and just seeing how you built season after season. It, nothing compares. No, it's wonderful. Going into it a bit more, uh, you talked about the games that you grew up playing, the games that you you know enjoyed throughout different generations. What have you been playing lately? So like I said, I got, I got a four year old, so gaming can be limited. I'm trying to limit his screen time. And although I'm very much looking forward to him being a player, too, in my house at some point 
at four is not the right age. So it's kind of limited. Uh, but I still have so two nights a week. There's a game called PUBG. Are you familiar with PUBG? Yeah, sure am. Yeah. So for those who aren't, it's a battle royale style game where 100 players are dropped on this island in either solos, duos or teams of four. And once you die, you're dead. And so it it goes until there's one team or one person left. And uh, me and my best friend, we play that twice a week till very early in the morning. We're talking like starting once the kids in bed and we'll go until two in the morning, which is late for an old guy like me. And then uh, other than that, I will always find time. Uh, I, I work from home. So when I've got a break in between conference calls or projects, I'll toss on some Rocket League. Rocket League's a game that I've been playing for like six years. Absolutely love it. And uh, I just started Elden Ring. I'm sure you're familiar with Elden Ring. <laughs> People are annoyed at how much I bring it up, but continue. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's one of these games that I can see I'm going to love because it's so frustrating and it, I get so pissed off when I die and I'm like, I've almost got the villain beat and I die, but yet I keep going back to it. I keep turning it back on and that's how I know it's going to be one of these games that sticks with me. But I've just started that journey. I think I'm like 10 hours in and uh, it's it's really fun. It's a it's a very fun game. If you've never tried it, check it out. Oh, yeah, it's it's a phenomenal game. It's one of my one of my favorite games ever, even though it's only a year old. It really brought me back to that pen and paper thing, too, because I remember just taking a bunch of notes in my notes app, just trying yeah. to remember where certain things are, <laughs> not having to just like store it on the map itself or the game telling you where to go. It's just kind of like, all right, well, this is this person and this is where I left off with them. Let me check. Great stuff. All the the things that make modern gaming great with like all the stuff that made classic gaming so appealing to me as a kid. It's just like a perfect marriage of those two sensibilities. And that's what from software just seems to be really good at doing like capturing yeah. imagination when like these adult level video games <laughs> yeah no i've been not having the most time to play video games lately either just because when you make a tv show not make a tv show, when you make a podcast about something you end up having less time for it than you think sure you know i was able to play the game that we talked about today on that nintendo 64 online service on the switch and so i was playing around with some of the other games on that service because i didn't spring for the premium until uh you picked this episode to talk about. So I've been playing a few games on there. I finally played this game, Pokemon Puzzle League, for the first time, which is Panel Depon or Tetris Attack, but with a Pokemon veneer onto it. Okay. Yeah, it's just really striking to me is that the presentation of the game is just the most slapdash thing I've ever seen in my life. I think it's a <laughs> very, very fun core gameplay loop, moving the blocks around and making them match while they like slowly climb up the screen. But it looks like a cereal box video game. Like it looks like something with very low resolution textures. All of the music is like MIDI versions of the songs from the 90s anime. It's it's charming. It's it's very silly, but it's also extremely slapdash. But I've been very charmed by it. And it just feels nostalgic, even though it's a game I never played growing up. That's one that I haven't tried. Do they? And I don't have a Switch. I don't have a uh, I don't have any Nintendo systems. Is there a big selection on there? Uh. Yes and no. It's kind of one of those like there's plenty here, but not enough. There are mm. if if somebody would probably condone emulation as a better form of uh, experiencing these classic Nintendo 64 titles and springing for the switch and paying for the online subscription model service where you don't even download and keep the games. But legally, I can't also be one of those people advocating for that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. 
just just something worth noting. Yeah, if you want to revisit the Nintendo 64 era, there's probably better ways of doing it. But speaking of uh, the Nintendo 64, we're covering a Nintendo 64 game, one that is actually based off of the James Bond franchise of films. You're a film guy. What is your relationship like with uh, the James Bond series? Uh, you know, I got into Bond very early because they would play Bond films randomly on TBS. And TBS was one of the channels we got as a kid. So when these movies would come on, we would give them a shot. And I honestly, I look back and I can't remember what films I saw when I was younger, but something attracted me to MI6 and that world. Maybe it was the whole license to kill thing. Even if you don't see a lot of blood and gore on screen, it always it always appealed to me to the point where I was I drew a lot when I was little, too, and I was drawing comic books based on the MI6 mythos, even though I didn't know much about it other than the mm-hmm. movie I just saw on TBS where Bond was killing people while skiing. Um, so, you know, there was a, a appeal there. And then in 1995, Goldeneye came out in 95 through 99. I had a friend whose brother worked at the movie theater and we would just go see literally everything that came out. And Goldeneye was one of the first things that we saw in theaters together for free. And I I really did like it. I think that the Brosnan ones started to get pretty bad near the end of his (laughs) run. But then it was revived by Martin Campbell, who also directed Goldeneye when Casino Royale came out with our new Bond, Daniel Craig. And I like about half of those movies. I I really love Casino Royale. I like Skyfall a lot. I like about half of the new one. I think the villain was pretty bad in the newest Bond film. And then Skyfall and uh, Quantum of Solace and Spectre. Yes, Spectre. Yeah, those ones I I thought were pretty, pretty bad. No, yeah. Spectre, I cannot blame you for not even remembering the name of it. It is so forgettable. The best (laughs) thing about Spectre Besides, like maybe that opening, that cold open, uh, is the rejected Radiohead song for it that they don't even use in the movie because they go for like a very unmemorable Sam Smith song that just kind of like captures the tone of the rest of the movie. Just a completely yeah. unmemorable experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of appeal to the Bond series. I have the whole big Bond like fifty years set with every movie so far that's come out and I've been going through them slowly. I've been listening to the commentaries and stuff like that. And there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I mean, there's a lot of great villains. There's a lot of memorable set pieces. You have bond going into space. You have bond going in all these different really exotic countries. There's a lot of cool stuff there. Um, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite franchises ever, but there are definite gems in the bunch for sure. I can definitely see why someone would cling on to it as one of their uh, favorite film franchises uh previous guest of the show manu he is a huge james bond fan and he encouraged me to get into these movies uh in the lead up to the release of no time to die and this was during a time when Mm -hmm. i was temporarily unemployed so i had plenty of time to die actually um so i got through (laughs) all of the connery films and then i kind of went insane a little bit just because i was watching them all too close together and i was just like well hang on i just let me let me get caught up on the on the Craig stuff. And I watched Casino Royale, which is my favorite Bond film. Uh, Quantum of Solace is yeah. fine. That's <laughs> not even bad. It's just not good. I think that's during the Writers Guild stuff that was going on around the time. And it just seems it was kind of kneecapped by all that. Skyfall's great. I like Skyfall a lot. And I'm not even a big uh, fan of a, uh, I can't remember the name of the director live. Wow. Uh, Sam Mendes. 
Sam Mendes, the American Beauty guy. I'm not a fan of him whatsoever, but I like Skyfall a lot. And incidentally, he did Spectre 2, which I do not like at all. And <laughs> I'll go to bat for No Time to Die. You are correct that the villain is kind of whack, for lack of a better term. There's a million different ways it probably could have handled that particular aspect better. But aside from that, I was just really into all of it. I really liked how uh, how it successfully did this hearkening back to classic Bond, but in a way that felt a lot more organic to the more edgy post 9-11 Bond that the first three films set up. I don't know. It, it, it worked for me, even if it did have a lot, a little bit too much of everything going in. Yeah, I mean, there there is some definite good stuff there. The cold open with it's almost like a slasher opening, which is really quite good. And then I won't reveal the ending, but there are definite stakes to the ending, which I enjoyed. Uh, it's just that, you know, when you have a movie like a Bond movie, you need a great villain. And I just I thought the villain was so boring, played by uh, Rami Malek, just such a boring villain. Yeah, I've really tried to uh, defend Rami Malek lately because he was so good in Mr. Robot, right? And he has this very, very interesting uh, indie career leading yep. up to Mr. Robot. And then once he sort of takes off, it just becomes a lot of bad calls from trying to make an actor too big too soon. And I don't know if he's not up to the challenge necessarily, but he is just kind of a person that fits in certain places more than others. And I don't think they're making the considerations for that. If you had told me in 2012, like 16-year-old me, hey, they're going to make a Queen movie with a with a very interesting character actor. I, I'd be like, hell yeah, I'm all over that. And then, no, you won't. You will not be into it at all. You will hate <laughs> it. <laughs> I like the James Bond films. I haven't seen all of them yet, but I you know, I think they have a pretty good hit rate for the fact that there are, what, 25, 25 of them uh, from Eon Productions and then two other production companies developed two others. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there are definitely worse franchises, especially as someone who is a horror fan. This is also a series that has more than the video game adaptation that we're talking about today. It has many, many video games, actually. Have you played any of the other Bond video games? I have. I would say I probably played about half of them. I definitely played The World Is Not Enough, which came out shortly after this. I think EA did that one, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, it was it was fine. It was a first person one. Tomorrow Never Dies. I, I played that one. And uh, I thought that was terrible. <laughs> and then I know there's a ton of different Bond games, but I kind of fell off until 007 Legends came out for the Xbox 360. I had a lot of fun with that one, but it didn't capture the magic that Goldeneye did. And then I think the last one that I played was Bloodstone, which was a kind of I, I know Daniel Craig was a part of it. Joss Stone, I think, did a voice in there. Bloodstone was a, a pretty good game, but it was. I think it was just kind of forgotten once it was released. Right. That came out, I think, before 007 Legends, but around the same time as another Bond game that I'll mention shortly. Uh, I remember that one being sort of like just a, a third person shooter that Daniel Craig participated in. I mean, like that was, you know, I think around 2010, 2011, where there was just a bunch of games like that coming out. So I can understand why it got buried. But you said you liked it. Yeah, I thought Bloodstone was actually pretty good. I haven't gone back to it for a while. So that's one I'll have to see if it's on uh, like crossplay to see if I can download that because that one came out what that can probably three six Xbox 360 so I'll have to see if that's crossplay enabled if it is I would definitely be down to give it another shot yeah for sure I'm definitely the kind of person who was who was trying to seek out some James Bond video games while I was watching the movies and it was actually really hard to track any of them down legitimately because they haven't developed 
James Bond games at all lately. And I think that is speaking to how the industry is changing because it used to be compulsory to develop a video game for a film franchise, but now not so much. Like they didn't make a Skyfall video game. They made a, even then, like they were making a James Bond video game that had nothing to do with the movies coming out. It's it's interesting. Yeah, that is kind of funny because most video games that come out based on a movie have to do with the plot of that movie. And a lot of these 007 ones are continuations of a plot or they're completely different plots, which I guess gives you more freedom as a developer. But it is also sometimes a tough sell to say, hey, here's this character that you like. Uh, Here's a brand new adventure of something that you might not be familiar with. But I mean, it worked for Bloodstone for sure. And there are plenty of other Bond games, I think, that follow that. Agent Under Fire was one that was not a movie. There's there's plenty of them that kind of followed their own path. For sure, yeah. Another one that I just remembered, I never played this one, but I think the last James Bond video game they made that was directly based off of a movie that was coming out at the time was Quantum of Solace. And I just remember that one because I was looking it up and I was like, why didn't they make a Casino Royale video game? Then I remembered what Casino Royale was like. It's like, oh, just be a bunch of poker <laughs> which i think yeah, would be a great a mini gimmick. game where you a mini game where you smash somebody in the nuts yeah with a with a whip tap x to not get hit in the ball super hard <laughs> the torture <laughs> scene from metal gear solid is a full-length video game i think that'd be a pretty high concept stuff in, indeed hey uh, another game that you mentioned uh when talking about the nintendo 64 and one that you mentioned when uh we were initially talking about you coming on for an episode you said that you were totally down to GoldenEye. I'm super stoked that you're doing GoldenEye, but you also mentioned WWF No Mercy. Uh, you're not the mm. first guest to mention that you love wrestling games. Uh, what makes this particular one stand out to you? Um, okay, so huge fan of wrestling back in the late 90s. I never was a fan of wrestling up until I got into high school, and then I started hanging out with this group of four other guys, and on Tuesday mornings, all they would talk about on breaks and on lunch was the wrestling that they had to watch the night before. And I'm like, you know what? I, I can't be left out on Tuesdays anymore because all <laughs> I want to talk about is like Dawson's Creek or whatever. And these guys are talking <laughs> wrestling. So I got to get in and talk about some wrestling. And they never Most watched 90 Dawson's Creek. Ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch some wrestling. So I think that I started getting into wrestling around the time of the Attitude Era. It was like, Mike Tyson was the guest referee between Austin and Shawn Michaels. And that was the first WrestleMania that I ever saw. I mean, I was familiar with wrestling up until that point, but I had not started watching it. And so Monday nights, I would take the TV over starting at eight o'clock, watch an hour at WCW until WWF came on at nine. And then I'd watch that. And uh, the very first wrestling game I ever got was WCW versus the world, which I got with my first Nintendo 64. And then WCW NWO Revenge came out. That's another one that I bought with my own money. And then uh, there was WWF WrestleMania 2000 and then No Mercy. And No Mercy was the last N64 game on that last wrestling game on N64, I believe, uh, for WWF. Well, at least the last one by that studio. But it had a huge roster, create your own wrestler. They had ladder matches. They had all kinds of like crazy stuff in there that you could do. I'm pretty sure they had like Hell in a Cell matches. And it was just it was so much fun. I also got the Japanese counterpart to that game called Virtual Pro Wrestling 2. Have you ever heard of that one before? No, I haven't. At the height of my wrestling fandom, not only was I 
uh, paying attention to the two major companies in the U.S. I was also paying attention to ECW. I was paying attention to Japanese wrestling, too. And so Virtual Pro Wrestling 2, I think, came out a little bit before No Mercy. Same company developed it. So same controls, same look and feel. But it had literally every Japanese wrestler you could think of. It still had the creator wrestler. I had to go in using a guide from GameFAQs and like switch the menus from Japanese to English. And and I had to switch all the wrestlers names into English. Uh, it was a whole time sink, but totally worth it. They had moves you couldn't do in the American ones. They had like UFC style fighting and rings as like a side thing in it. There was just so much to it. I, I love that game. You could only play it with there was like a little adapter. You had to get this adapter to play uh, Japanese games. So I had the adapter and I had that game, but I played the hell out of those wrestling games. Oh, I loved them. So you imported this game from Japan. Is that right? Uh, so I, I had to import the the piece, but I actually worked at the time. I was working at a video game store in a mall and in that mall underneath, there was a small kiosk and they sold import games for some reason. And I, I would walk by that kiosk like on my lunch and break and just salivate over their Japanese games that I had no idea what they were. And one day I finally came up with like 70 extra bucks that I could spend and I bought this game from them. No regrets. No regrets. Love that game. And I actually, uh, you know, when I get the Steam Deck in, you were talking about emulation. I am definitely going to download Virtual Pro Wrestling 2. Please keep me updated on that because, I mean, I've never played a bunch of the standard wrestling games. And I'm just curious about this because people have a lot of affection for them. And WWF, No Mercy especially, keeps coming up in these conversations as like the pinnacle of wrestling games. And you saying that this uh, Virtual Pro Wrestling 2 is from the same studio, I'd really have to get to know the studio a bit better because it seems like they are making these heavy hitters that people are willing to endure another language just to engage with. Yeah, oh, they're just a great studio. And and just like GoldenEye, it's one of those games where you plug four controllers in and anybody's going to be able to pick up and play. They might oh, have been great at first, but... They're going to be able to smash buttons and they'll be doing body slams in no time. Yeah, right on. Thank you for getting into that with me. Uh, before we talk about this video game based on a movie, I do have uh, a little game for us to play. Oh, okay. In the Force 5 podcast, you have your guests make a top five list for movies based on a highly specific theme. You've had episodes on top five twins, top five ripoffs, top five films that scarred you as a child and so on. I have a little top five challenge of my own with me today, but instead of making one, you're going to be guessing one. It's the return of okay. a segment that we do on the show called Rank and Cinephile. So Jason, I have five games in front of me based off of popular films, and your job is to rank them based on their current score on the review aggregation website Metacritic. One Ooh. being the game with the highest score, five being the lowest. And I first introduced this segment a few episodes ago when I had Caroline from How Have You Not Seen talk about Star Wars Battlefront 2. And since we're doing yet another video game based on a movie, I figured, hey, why not bring it back? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So just so you're clear what the rules and conditions are, you are not playing against me. I am the host and you're the guest. It would be stacked against you. You got to give me the full ranking. You can't guess these movies one at a time. I, I, I will not give you the answer until you guess the placement of all five. Okay. You do not need to guess the Metacritic score. You're just guessing the game's placement on this list. 
And the Metacritic score I use is based on the highest rated version of the game. So if a game was on multiple platforms, I'm always going to default to the highest score every time. Lastly, the prize for this game is is nothing. I'm just doing it because I think it's fun. Sound good? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'm ready to win nothing, but I'm also ready to lose nothing. I'm curious if you played any of these because you said you're a lifelong gamer uh, and I, you definitely had an Xbox and I think every single one of these games was released on the Xbox. Okay. The games are The Godfather, The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Spider-Man 2. This is a 2004 Spider-Man 2, to clarify. Okay. From Russia with Love and The Chronicles of Riddick Escape from Butcher Bay. Ooh. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm going to guess Chronicles of Riddick, Godfather. No, wait. Chronicles of Riddick, Lord of the Rings, Godfather, From Russia with Love, Spider Man 2. You got the first two. The correct ranking is the Chronicles of Riddick Escape from Butcher Bay, which got a 90 on Metacritic. Okay. Uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King got an 85. Spider-Man 2, 83. The Godfather, mm. 77. And From Russia with Love, 71. I was... Oh, okay. I liked yeah. From Russia with Love. I thought it was better than 71. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. But it was just... It's stacked up against some other games that are considered to be some of the best video game adaptations of movies ever. Uh... Very quick fun fact about all of these games. Uh, they all have actors from the original movies to voice their characters. Uh, Vin Diesel voices Riddick in Escape from Butcher Bay and work closely with the developers, contributing plot elements and offering guidance on dialogue for Riddick. Of course he did. Yeah, no. You know what? He rocks. I will defend his uh, interference to the death on some level because he seems to know <laughs> what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what? I'm down. He loves that character and he would yeah. not let anybody do something with that character without his permission. <laughs> uh, most of the Return of the King cast voiced their respective characters in the game and they went so far as to hire the movie's stunt doubles to accurately portray the movement of the characters in the game wow Spider-Man 2 features Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst and Alfred Molina and Bruce Campbell serves as the game's narrator everyone looks at the controller and whines there's only one attack button will you give me a break just because there's only one button called attack doesn't mean it's the only one you can use. It's called a manual. Try to show a little initiative, at least. And the Godfather game features the voices of Robert Duvall, Abe Vigoda, and James Caan, with Marlon Brando contributing voice work in what was his final acting job. Uh, unfortunately, he was in such poor health at the time uh, that most of his recordings were deemed unusable, and you can only hear his voice in a section based on the hospital scenes from the original movie uh, mm. after Vito was shot. Uh, and of course, Sean Connery provided his voice for From Russia With Love, uh, agreeing to play Bond for the first time in over 20 years because his grandchildren were video game fans. Uh, of course, all of his lines were recorded from his home in the Bahamas. Wow. Uh, out of those five games, I've only played from Russia with love and then the Godfather. Interesting. I've, you know, for some reason I had a hunch that you might've played another one of these, but were you ever curious about any of this? Uh, you know, not really. I've never been a fan of the, I, I wouldn't say I don't like the Riddick movies. I just can't remember a thing about them. And I, it's not a property that I really love. Same with Lord of the Rings and then Spider-Man. The only game that I've ever loved for Spider-Man was the most recent Spider-Man uh, games for like the PlayStation 4 and 5. Yeah, no, those are based off of the template that Spider-Man 2 for the PS2 Xbox era established. Like that was the first open world Spider-Man game. And 
at the time it was a response to uh you know the grand theft auto 3 open world phenomenon taking off but it really just sort of changed the way that we view spider-man in that interactive space because it's just kind of like look new york is a playground it's something that he has to interact with directly and your web has to connect to actual pieces of the building for you to actually swing around and at the time that was just revolutionary Huh. No, I, I don't think I ever played that, but I might have. I'll, I'm going to look up screens when we're done here and I'll, I'll send you an email, <laughs> let you know. Yeah, you'll see low poly pictures of Kirsten Dunst and you'll know if you've played it or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, but we're not here to talk about these video game adaptations. We're here to talk about one specific one, uh, a very influential one, one that made not only an impact on its players, but also the video game industry. I am, of course, talking about GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64. GoldenEye 007 is a first-person shooter developed by British game studio Rare Limited. It was published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64. Rare Limited has developed many popular games, notably the Donkey Kong Country series of games on the Super Nintendo, and other Nintendo 64 games such as Donkey Kong 64, Diddy Kong Racing, Banjo-Kazooie and its sequel Banjo-Tooie, Conker's Bad Fur Day, as well as Jet Force Gemini and Perfect Dark. When you lay it all out, Rare was instrumental to the Nintendo 64's identity as a system in the long term. Not nearly as many games were developed for the Nintendo 64 as there were for the PlayStation, and many of the notable non-Nintendo games for the system were developed by Rare. This was because Nintendo bought a 49% stake in the company, making them a sort of second-party developer for them. They were able to be functionally independent with very little interference from Nintendo, and Nintendo would benefit from this relationship by having the games sold on their hardware. We'll come back to this point later. GoldenEye 64 was directed by Martin Hollis, who also worked on Killer Instinct and Perfect Dark for Rare. The crew making GoldenEye 007 consisted of just 12 people, most of whom had never made a video game prior to this one. The other developers of this game were Mark Edmonds, Stephen Ellis, David Doak, Duncan Botwood, Carl Hilton, B. Jones, Adrian Smith, Graham Smith, and the now iconic music for this game was composed by Grant Kirkhope, uh, Graham Norgate, and Robert Beanland, who provided the elevator music for the game. GoldenEye 007 was originally released in North America on August 25th, 1997, a little under two years after the movie GoldenEye already came out. Uh, Other notable games released in 1997 include Grand Theft Auto, Fallout, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Star Wars Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2, Tekken 3, Final Fantasy 7, Star Fox 64, Mario Kart 64, and Blast Core and Diddy Kong Racing, both of which were rare developed titles on the Nintendo 64. So really strong showing of game set here. Did you play any of these? You know, as you went through that list, I didn't play many of them. No, they didn't play Star Fox 64 or Mario Kart. No, I was never a big Mario Kart player and I never play. I've never played any Star Fox game. That's wild to me just because you did own a Nintendo 64 and it felt like those were sort of the core experiences of them. So I'm very very curious about how this how this whole discussion is going to go. Uh, what, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we've talked a little bit about like the development of GoldenEye. What ultimately made you settle on it as the game you wanted to talk about? When I think of video games that f- like were formative in my life, it's those games that had communal experiences that you played with other people, whether that be online 
or in person. And back then there was no online. I mean, there was on like the internet existed, but it's not like you could play multiplayer games on them as far as I knew. Up until that point, you had two controllers. So when you played Sega Genesis and I had friends at my house for that, it was, uh, you know, two players playing and then two players waiting (laughs) and whoever won or whoever lost gave up their controller to the next guy. And that's how it went. And now all of a sudden my group of friends could largely play together because the N64 had four controller slots and GoldenEye was like the ultimate multiplayer game back then. It was realistic and I'll say realistic in quotes, like obviously it looks terribly, you know, blocky and pixelated today, but back then the first person shooter was Doom or Wolfenstein and you were shooting monsters and there was no nuance to it. It was find your power ups, shoot the bad guys, find bigger power ups, shoot bigger bad guys. And all of a sudden, all four players are picking up realistic guns and shooting at each other through the facility. And it's just an experience that I will never forget. This this is back in the day where you could, uh, at my high school, you could go off campus for lunch if you were a junior or a senior. And there were, there were days when we would go off campus for lunch, we'd be sitting at Taco Bell and it would be like, hey, you want to go to Kleberg's house and just play Goldeneye and just ditch our last four classes or whatever? <laughs> and that's what we would do. Like, we would just drive to my house. My mom worked until like five o'clock at night. So we would show up and play Goldeneye through, you know, until my mom got home. And it's just something that I'll never forget. And I don't know that I've had an experience like that with the game online games are really fun and I still play them you know multiple times a week with my best friend but at the same time it doesn't capture the magic of those four friends on the same couch just like throwing a controller in anger or jumping up (laughs) in elation because you just nailed someone with the golden gun you know It, it it doesn't compare in today's games Right, absolutely. So you heard it here first, folks. Video games are bad for you. He skipped school so he could <laughs> play them. <laughs> Detrimental to your education, Jason. Very bad message. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, I've I've probably done just as bad stuff with video games in my life. I would stay up till 3 a.m. in college, arguably a more significant time where you should be focusing, uh, losing it all to <laughs> the silliest video games in the world. At the same time, though, my my hand-eye coordination and my reflexes are so much better because of it. So it's a trade-off, right? It's a give and take. You know, yeah, you were playing with a Nintendo 64 controller, so you're probably the most probably the most dexterous person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were very interesting controller layouts, but we made it work. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so let's travel back in time a little bit. What was your first encounter with this game ever? All right, first encounter. So... I remember this super clearly. I didn't have a Nintendo 64 for a little bit. Uh, Like I said, I didn't come from a family that had a lot of disposable income. So getting a console was very rare. And it was really only there were two times a year where you'd get something like that. One was my birthday, which was in smack dab in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the year. And one was Christmas. So like if you didn't get the Nintendo 64 for your birthday, you were waiting six months to see if you got it for Christmas. So Christmas comes around, must have been Christmas 97, 90, possibly 98. But uh, my best friend at the time got one. So 
all of a sudden he has a Nintendo 64. Now he has no games. And I went over there like the weekend that he got it. And we went over to Blockbuster Video or Hollywood Video, whatever the, the video store was near his house. And GoldenEye was one of the games that were in stock. So we picked up GoldenEye, brought that back to his house, plugged that thing in. He only had one controller, so I didn't even get a drink of the multiplayer at this time. But we played we played through the night till probably six in the morning as far as we could stay awake because we wanted to just drink every inch of this game in. And uh, yeah, it was an experience that I will never forget. Now, I first got it like six months later when my birthday hit. I got a Nintendo 64 and the first two games I got like like received with it was uh, WCW versus the world, like I mentioned, and GoldenEye. And that's when the multiplayer experience really took off. I had a brother at a stepbrother. So all of a sudden I bought a couple controllers. I still have my same three controllers. I have the gray one that came with the system. I have the green one and I have a yellow one. The yellow one was always mine because I was a Steelers fan. Still, Well, I'm still a Steelers fan, but the yellow controller was always mine. I'll still play with it when I plug that in. But uh, that was when the multiplayer really, really came around. And again, experiences I'll never forget. You're really getting to like the core of like a very specific time in video games. I remember people coming over to our house, somebody bringing over Diddy Kong Racing and us playing that. I guess you and I had opposite lives because we were the people that had uh, Star Fox 64 and Mario Kart 64 specifically. So we grew up with those games, but people were bringing other games that I'd never seen before and would never see again that I thought were a fever dream. And finding out one of them was GoldenEye a few years later was... uh, surprise this is a a tremendous selling game like this isn't just like oh this is one of the handful of popular games on the nintendo 64 this was the killer app that didn't have the word mario in it like this sold more than the legend of zelda ocarina of time yeah i think it's and i think it sold something like eight million copies and the multiplayer aspect of it was a huge part of that there were so many get-togethers where you just sit there you know four screen four corners in a 36 inch tube tv that you're playing on and and it was it ruled like you get to the point where people are getting pissed because it's like oh you're looking at my screen but at the same time like well yeah you're looking at mine too so you just got to be better (laughs) when when i come up to kill you and there are so many moments i remember so i my stepbrother is a lot younger than me and it must have been like a saturday morning or something And we had a kid from down the street. He came over. So there was four of us kids playing. And our parents are sitting at the kitchen table in the same room having a conversation. And my stepbrother, like I said, a lot younger than me, rarely killed me in this game. I got real good at this game, which we'll we'll get to here in a bit. But (laughs) at at one point, he killed me in like a one-on-one battle. And it was the first time he'd ever done it. He must have been, at the time, third or fourth grade. I want to say, and he he like drops the controller down on the table, stands up and says, that's right, bitch. <laughs> and like me and my brother start laughing hysterically looking at him and he turns around and all of our parents are just looking at him like, what did you say? <laughs> again, he's like maybe nine or ten at the time. And it was one of these moments that has always stuck with me. It's just such a good memory. And I think everybody kind of laughed it off because of, you know, the the situation. But (laughs) that's right, bitch. It was just so funny. (laughs) God, I love stories like that. I just the the, the communal experience of the the split screen multiplayer just 
you know, I, I appreciate how crucial and communal the online experience can be, but there is really nothing more special to me than having four people in a room all together, talking the, the worst shit to each other, getting way too caught up <laughs> in a video game and having a moment like that where that is both mortifying and deeply, deeply hilarious. Yeah, and you don't get that very much anymore. Back then it was, well, before the N64 came out, it was two-player stuff or it was in the arcade, which, you know, I've had a lot of experiences with those people uh, standing in line with their quarter on the machine to play the winner of the next Street Fighter II battle. But uh, you don't really get that anymore. And when you play with random people online, it's never the same as when you're playing with four friends on the same couch. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, passionate but almost in a performative way i think like that's why people would like resort to racial slurs so easily because (laughs) you want to shit talk you want to you want to rib with people but if you want to stand out in a faceless crowd of people you can say whatever you want without consequences at least with the uh the arcade situation or the 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 four-player nintendo 64 experience like there was something personal to it and even if you are a hater you're still at least a respectful hater (laughs) yeah or you get your ass kicked because you're on the same couch yeah exactly there were stakes to it. Yep. Look, I'm not here to completely just take down the online idea of shooting games, but I am curious. Uh, have you played many shooter games since GoldenEye, especially online? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was a huge proponent of the Call of Duty games up until, shoot, whatever, whenever that one came out with the dogs. And I was like, all right, I think I'm done with this. I haven't played mm-hmm. a Call of Duty game since, but I played, I've played a lot of first person shooters. I loved Far Cry. I still play those games. Battlefield, I like that series. And now PUBG, which I play exclusively in first person. I Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of first person shooters in my life. I don't think any that I've enjoyed as much as Goldeneye, but I've played a ton. Right. No, there's definitely like it, it sounds like it's your first love. The thing that made you love this thing in the first place. So I can I definitely see that. And also just the time in your life when you got it, the experiences that you have with it. It's hard to chase that dragon. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about the nature of this video game and how we can play it in this segment that I like to do every episode where we talk about game preservation. Uh, no country for old games. We talked about how much this game means to you. We talked about how widely popular it was, and it was a tremendously influential game. We should really talk about how accessible it is so people who are curious about this kind of game can get into it. So in this segment, we will rate today's game on a scale of A to ARG. ARG obviously being an expression of how how frustrating it is to acquire a game and not me covertly advocating for piracy, which is illegal. So the availability of this game is actually a really wild saga, so, so bear with me here. The game was originally released on a Nintendo 64 in August of 1997. At the time, Nintendo had a 49% stake in the company, making Rare a second-party developer for them. Uh, As the fifth generation of consoles uh, was winding down in the sixth generation, uh, that being the GameCube, Xbox, and PS2, was emerging, game development costs were rising, and Nintendo wasn't giving any additional funding to Rare, despite them being such a heavy hitter for them on the the Nintendo 64 console. Since Nintendo didn't own them outright, the company sought bidders and entered a bidding war between Nintendo, Activision, and Microsoft, who were coming out with the Xbox at the time. The last Rare developed video game released on a Nintendo home console would be Star Fox Adventures, released on September 23rd, 2002 for the GameCube. 
Rare was purchased by Microsoft on September 24, 2002 for $375 million, the day after Star Fox Adventures came out. Rare became a first-party developer for Microsoft, meaning they developed games exclusively for Xbox consoles. They retained the trademarks for Rare created characters such as Banjo, Kazooie, Conker, and so on, but obviously they would no longer be allowed to develop Nintendo-owned IPs for Xbox consoles, which means games like Donkey Kong Racing, the sequel to Diddy Kong Racing, completely ceased development. That being said, uh, Microsoft permitted Rare to continue to develop games for the uh, Nintendo's Game Boy Advance and eventually the Nintendo DS because Microsoft did not have a competing handheld console. So at least there was a sort of amicable relationship between Microsoft and Nintendo in that deal. Now, you may be saying to yourself right now, Kiefer, what does all of this have to do with GoldenEye? And the answer is everything. Rare was able to bring several of their Nintendo 64 games onto the Xbox Live Arcade. So that included Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, uh, the Perfect Dark games, but Microsoft suggested that GoldenEye 007 would be a good fit for Xbox Live Arcade 2, and a crew of eight Rare employees began developing a remaster of GoldenEye based on the original Nintendo 64 games code. Now, it was going to have enhanced graphics and an option to toggle between the new graphics and the original graphics on the Nintendo 64, so you had the option between to switch between the two visual styles. And it was also going to include an online multiplayer mode. Now, the project was nearly completed before it would ultimately never receive an official release because Nintendo did not give anybody permission to release the game on another console. Chris Tilson, one of the developers on this remaster, claimed that the project began when Nintendo reps reached out to Microsoft and Rare and the quote-unquote handshake was contingent on Nintendo also releasing a version of the original GoldenEye on the Wii and then Rare releasing their own version on the Xbox 360. It would understandably be a huge risk getting this game released because in addition to Nintendo, Activision owned the rights to release the James Bond games. MGM and Eon also had to say because these games use characters and actor likenesses that they had the rights to. All parties would have had to agree to this game being released, which would have made it difficult. But based on the interview I read on Video Game Chronicle, the developers believe it was ultimately Nintendo not giving permission as they originally purchased the rights back in the Nintendo 64 days and paid Rare to develop the GoldenEye 007 originally. Nintendo paid for the game to be made, and Rare didn't publish it. So months and months and months were wasted. Those jerks. Yeah, remastering a game that would ultimately, and still hasn't, seen the light of day. Yeah, that's, that's just, just a crazy story that I want to say in the lead-up to even weirder stuff coming up. <laughs> it's, I remember when that was announced, and I was really looking forward to it, and then it just never came out, and I just kind of forgot about it, I guess. But it make, yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It sucks that it happened, but there are so many hands in the 007 pie. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I'm realizing now that your relationship with uh, video games kind of follows rare as we go from the Nintendo 64 to the Xbox. Did you ever play any of other any other rare games? Let's see. I played time. Wasn't Time Splitters a rare game? Oh, no. You know what? It, it wasn't. It was uh, it was the developers from rare that left they created a, a studio that did time splitters so it has a similar feel i definitely played uh perfect dark i played perfect dark a lot yeah time splitters was a free radical yeah which was a splinter of the golden eye team right right but yeah you said you you like perfect dark though right yeah perfect dark is good it's not it's definitely not golden eye quality but a similar experience. I think it got a little bit goofy. There was a little alien named Elvis running around. It was a little bit goofy, but they had some really cool ideas in there, like the laptop machine gun, which was like a proximity laptop you would throw down in multiplayer, and then a little machine gun would pop out when people ran by. There were some cool 
cool things there, cool level designs, but uh, it definitely didn't grab me like GoldenEye did. I liked it, but I don't love it. Right. And interesting. Uh, this is still not the end of the availability story for GoldenEye, though. Eurocom developed a new James Bond game published by Activision in November of 2010, also called GoldenEye 007, that came out for the Nintendo Wii. And this wasn't a remake of Rare's GoldenEye 007. It was more of a uh, remake of the movie GoldenEye that was <laughs> uh, developed as a video game. I've never heard of this. Really? Yeah, because I own this game, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a modern adaptation of GoldenEye meant to fit with the style of the first two Craig-led Bond films at the time. Daniel Craig not only provided his likeness, but his voice to the game. For England, James. No. For me. Judy Dench and Roy Kinnear provide their voices as M and Bill Tanner, which makes Dench the only returning actor from the original GoldenEye movie in this game. Uh, David Arnold, who composed uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and Quantum of Solace for the 007 films, he provides the score for this remake. Uh, Nicole Scherzinger from the Pussycats dolls covers Tina Turner's GoldenEye theme. The script was written by the 1995 film's co-writer Bruce Feirstein. Uh, many of the changes to the script had to be made, though, because the thing about GoldenEye, and we haven't really talked about the film yet, weirdly enough, uh, is that it's a movie about a very specific time in history between like the fall of the Soviet Union and really what the next steps for Russia and the global world are going to be uh, after the quote unquote fall of communism. Right. Yeah. But this this is a Daniel Craig story set in 2010. So none of that stuff, none of those global politics things matter. Like this is post 9-11. What is what is the story? Like that's the whole root <laughs> of the story. And all of Sean Bean's motivation is all tied up in those uh, this whole story that just does not come over at all because it wouldn't make sense because Sean Bean's character would have to be 70 years old. <laughs> so yeah, they just change all of that. None of them changes really work, obviously, because it's the heart of GoldenEye's story and the whole villain's motivation. The aesthetics are much more generic. Uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of like a, a, it's a game. It's just a 2010 shooting game starring Daniel Craig as James Bond that kind of evokes the memory of GoldenEye without actually sort of being GoldenEye. It wasn't bad. Like I liked playing it at the time because the Wii did not have a lot of uh, did not have a lot of shooters at the time. But right. it uh, would also come out in uh, the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 the year later. Uh, the Wii version got a good amount of praise for being a competent blockbuster shooting game. But on the PlayStation 3 and 360, it just kind of got mild reviews because those consoles had plenty of Call of Duty style shooting games, and this one didn't really stand out. Huh. You know, as as you say this, I think I may have played GoldenEye Reloaded on 360, but I don't know. It, preparing for this podcast has kind of made me want to go back through and play some of these old 007 games just to see what they what, what they offer. Yeah, I think one of these versions of GoldenEye came out around the same time as Bloodstone because I remember the marketing sort of lining up with them and Daniel Craig being there for both because he was a gamer and was totally down to do the Bond games. Huh. I did not know yeah. that about him. Yeah, no. He said he was a huge fan of the original GoldenEye game. Nice. Yeah, you know, one of us. Uh, Daniel Craig, if you're listening, <laughs> come on the show. Bring your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Come talk, uh, talk about video games, Mr. Craig. Wait, hold on. What just happened? Blanc, 
I saw you go in the engine room. But yeah, no, the game was it. It wasn't great. It wasn't the original GoldenEye whatsoever. But it was it was certainly a video game that had the name GoldenEye on it. And it did not function as a re-release or remake whatsoever of the original GoldenEye. So again, at this time, GoldenEye still trapped on a Nintendo 64. And it would remain that way until January 7th of 2023. Rare published the original GoldenEye 007 on Xbox Game Pass, Microsoft subscription-based game service, and on the expansion pack tier for Nintendo Switch Online, the Switch's subscription-based service. Through some kind of miracle, magic, money, I don't know, the game is now legally playable on consoles besides the Nintendo 64. The Xbox version of the game is a light remaster that offers 4K resolution displays, but does not feature any of the enhancements of the original Rare remaster that was originally developed for release in 2008, but was shut down and couldn't be released on Xbox Live Arcade. So this is a separate thing. Uh, It does not have any online multiplayer capability. Players who purchased the 2015 video game Rare Replay also got this version of the game for free. Uh, The Nintendo Switch Online version can be played in the original 4x3 aspect ratio as well as widescreen and includes online multiplayer through the Switch Online's emulator's built-in online capability. I say it offers online play. It is not great. It's not great. <laughs> it's not the best online service in the world. This is Nintendo we're talking about. This is a this is a, a company that only has voice chat through an app on a phone. It's not going to be great online, guys. I do not recommend it unless you are the most patient person in the world and have three equally patient friends online you can play with. The local co-op works, though. Or the local multiplayer, I should say, works, though. Sure. Which brings us to today, Jason. You and I originally talked about being on each other's shows back in October of last year. And the reason it's actually taken so long is because I wanted to talk about these re-releases with you. So with all that being said, uh, as someone who played the original GoldenEye, how was your experience playing it on the Xbox? It took me right back. Uh, So I downloaded this. I didn't even know it was coming until we talked and you said this was coming up. So I went, obviously I looked it up. Sure as shit, it was coming out. So (laughs) the minute it released, I downloaded it and I hope nobody from my work is listening because like the back half of one day, I just started playing this GoldenEye game once it downloaded and uh, (laughs) man, so much fun. Now, the first thing that I realized as I started playing it was, ooh, I got to get my sea legs back on this because it is a very old school shooter. Like you said, not a whole lot of enhancements to the controls or anything. So it took me a second to really uh, to really get that back. But then I started doing my old speed runs and I started trying to unlock stuff. And it was just as fun as I remember. Now, I don't have my same four friends sitting around with me. Because they've, you know, we've we've got families now. We're in different cities and, and stuff like that. So I was a little disappointed they didn't have the online multiplayer. But uh, in terms of single player, picked it right up and and kept going. Man, it's still a good time. It's still a really fun game. I think that if you didn't play it when you were younger, you might not have as good of an experience. And that's where I want to pick your brain a little bit. As somebody who didn't really play it when you were younger, what are your thoughts on this version? So I played the Switch version, which is functionally the same if you're playing the single player experience, except it's only in widescreen instead of uh, 4K. I honestly really liked it. So the control thing wasn't much of an issue for me because uh, they actually offer multiple control options. And Mm -hmm. what I ended up doing to make it uh, familiar for my muscle memory, because even though I was a Nintendo 64 kid growing up, 
and an original PlayStation kid growing up, I am obviously trained through my teens and adolescent years and my adult years with the DualShock twin stick controller. I, uh, I I had to change the controls a little bit. Solitaire controls and then opening up the switch <laughs> control options in the system and changing the uh, analog sticks in terms of like which one is perceiving itself as the right analog stick and left analog stick. That more or less made it play like a modern video shoot, modern video game shooter, which honestly you would think like, oh, well, clearly you did not play the original GoldenEye because it played like this. Honestly, though, really fucking fun to play it that way. I had a great time. I actually really like this game, even though I do not have the emotional connection or the historical context of having truly played it at the time. Uh, I played through the entire campaign and beat it. No, yeah, I love it. I love this game a lot, actually. Did you did you beat the campaign on Agent, Double O Agent, or Secret Agent? Or it'd be Agent, Secret Agent, Double O Agent? I was playing to hard mode up until you meet, uh, what is the name of the Bond girl in the movie? I can't remember her name for life. Oh, Xena on a top? No, Xena is the... Or you're talking the, about the, the good the, one. Yeah, it's escaping me too. Natalia, Natalia. Yeah, so I played uh, up until the mission that you meet Natalia on hard mode and then from there I had to switch it down to easy and get fewer object not easy but normal mode and get the fewer objectives just because like I was having such a hard time even with the modern controls because you know the whole infamous thing with GoldenEye 007 is those escort missions are difficult because she'll just run out in front of you and get shot while you're trying to oh god yeah es- escape a level so I said, like, look, this is this is optional. No, I'm not proving myself to anybody right now. I know I'm missing <laughs> some objectives by doing this, but I'm just going to crank it down to normal. <laughs> but no, it's a great game. I had a great time with it. So I I may not be an ultra uber hardcore master at the game, but the experience I had was worthwhile. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's it's I'm glad to hear that it's a lot of fun for somebody who didn't grow up with it. Yeah, yeah. You, you would think that some of it would, the, the appeal of the game would have been lost because every shooting game after it basically takes something from this game, whether it's like the grounded realism, not realism, but like relative realism that would go on to create the Call of Duty games or just sort of like the console sensibilities of Halo, that this would be watered down. And sure, it's not as uh, unique as it used to be, but it is definitely still sure. a very competently made game. Yeah, it's, it's still really good. The tough part is for speed runs. So back in the day of the Nintendo 64, you could run faster, a little fraction of a bit faster by holding down the yellow keys. You know how they had those weird like yellow buttons on the Nintendo 64 controllers above oh, yeah, the C-pad or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the C-pad. So if you held down left or right on the c-pad while you were running your character would kind of duck to the side and he would run a fraction of a bit faster so for speed runs you would really have to lean on that and you can't really do that with the current setup on the controller at least uh, at least not how i've seen so maybe i just have to adjust the controls and try a new speed run but that was part of the fun of solo player back in the day it was seeing how fast you could beat levels and leaning into those c buttons and and just knowing that N64 controller was a big component of that. Right, yeah. So I can definitely see that like something may be lost a little bit if you aren't using the same controller that the uh, original game was not developed with the mind of because they didn't really know, apparently, what the Nintendo 64 controller was going to look like until pretty far into development. But definitely yeah. like the original controller it was built for. I can definitely see, because I, I wasn't aware of that. 
Yeah, and like I'm an old man now in speedrun. It's not not a big deal now. But back in the day, man, it was a big deal when you could beat facility in like under a minute. Uh, you know, there, I think the record is like 52 seconds. But if you could get to a minute, you would have mm-hmm. to be using those those C pad to, to get there. For sure. Yeah. No, I can I can definitely see how this is very conducive to speed running. I was really looking at how long it took me to beat these levels because they seem massive going through them. And then you look at the end, especially after you've died a couple times and you have a rhythm of how to get up to the point where you died. And it's like, oh, you beat this level in five minutes. And I'm like, cool. That made me feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have a lot of time release cheats as well, which is kind of the fun of single player because those cheats then extend to multiplayer. But uh, a lot of the cheats in here are based on beating a level in a certain amount of time. So you challenge yourself to play the level over and over and over again to beat that time, to beat that score. Yeah, yeah the, these there used to be like such a robust and <laughs> esoteric way of unlocking stuff that is lost on most games. And I'm not saying that one way is better or worse, but it's certainly added to like the, the amount of time that you played a game. Sure. Yeah, definitely. As to, in terms of availability, uh, I cannot give this game an A, an A, even though it is uh, a game that is much more available than it used to be as of you know three months ago. But it is locked behind a subscription model for the Xbox and Switch, and it cannot be purchased separately. And I believe it could also easily be released on the PC because PC also has a version of Game Pass. I was actually really hoping for a PC version to come out, uh, but I settled for the Switch and I had a great time with it regardless. So I'll go straight down the middle in terms of grading this for availability. It could be more accessible. I wish you could actually download it or own it in some way, but it is at least accessible, which is great because this is a tremendously influential game. And like I said, it's still a lot of fun if you can get used to the control scheme. Tremendously influential game. It was the third best-selling game on on the Nintendo 64, selling over 8 million copies, like you said earlier, only being outsold by Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64, The game holds a 96 out of 100 on the review aggregation website Metacritic, making it the third highest rated game on the Nintendo 64 after Zelda Ocarina of Time and this game's spiritual successor, successor, Perfect Dark. Wow, Perfect Dark is rated higher than Goldeneye, huh? By a single point, but yes, that's... uh, Okay. Yeah, in terms of, you know, at the critical reception of the time, it's kind of like, man, this is more Goldeneye with a few more refinements. Yes, please. Uh, I never got to play Perfect Dark, though, because that was another game we did not own at our house, but... I hear great things. Yeah, hey, if you have Xbox, it's on Game Pass as well. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. GoldenEye 007 is currently the 28th highest rated game of all time on the website. So, massive game. Hugely popular. Influenced so many games. But we're not here to talk numbers. We're not here to talk accolades. We're here to talk about why this game means so much to the people who played it. So, let's get into it, Jason. Nicole was your typical hopeless romantic, moonlighting as a fanfiction writer. Claudia was a hard-headed activist with a YouTube channel and the mysterious past. When Nicole hit a deep funk in her writing, Claudia suggests one of her hidden passions, romance novels. Now the two have fallen into a world of endless handsome hunks, doe-eyed damsels, and lascivious lovers. It is now their sacred duty to rank these novels on three criteria. Their steaminess. I had to fan myself off. Their dreaminess. She's not missing anything without him, but he makes her life better. And their meaniness. Cal wouldn't be in some small town pie eating contest. That's not why he left me. (laughs) 
Join our heroines every other week as they overcome unhealthy relationship archetypes, thesaurus abusing authors, and anatomical inaccuracies to prove that love can conquer all on the Three Little Words Podcast, only on the Moonshot Network. What do you like about GoldenEye that you wish more games would do? Well, saying that I wish more games would do is kind of a loaded question because most of the games do what GoldenEye did now because GoldenEye did it before. Exactly. But in terms of what it did then that no other game had done, so there are a few things that come to mind. First off, the details in the game are astounding. For a team of, what did you say, 12? 12 people that developed this? And three of them I mean, were just on music. <laughs> yeah, so really nine developers. Um, I, I recently watched a documentary that I'm going to bring up a little bit later, but there's a documentary on the making of this game. And these guys basically said, we'd come in one morning and say, well, what if the what if the uh, enemies did this? And then they'd just work it in. So when you were playing GoldenEye, if you shoot somebody in the leg, then they start hopping on one foot like they just got shot in the foot. And if you shoot somebody in the arm, then they move as if their arm just got shot. Like there was a lot of details like that that were not in other games. You shoot somebody in the arm, they die the same way as if they got shot in the chest. And that's not the that's not the way it worked here. They would also take cover. They would hop around. They would hit alarms. Like there was so many cool things with the non-playable characters in this game. You could shoot hats off. That stuff had never really been done. If you look at stuff like the stealth aspect of things that had never been done, there are just so many different little touches to this game. It also had a lot of different levels with a lot of different, there was a lot of variety. Like you start off in the dam level, then you go to the facility, which is more of an office thing. Eventually you're in a rocket launching facility. Then you're in the jungle. Like there's just so much to the variety of it. It had freaking bonus levels. I don't know if you unlock those during your playthrough, but there are two bonus levels. One is Egypt. Uh, shit, there's two different ones. I think it's Temple in Egypt or something like that, where you get the Moonraker guns. It's just it's really, really cool stuff like that. It was a world in which you didn't have many boundaries. You could kind of, of course, there were bumpers, but you could go about tasks how you wanted to go about them. It wasn't like, Virtua Cop where you were on rails. You could move your character about this world that seemed really big and take care of things how you needed to do it. And then, like I said, there were, the, the challenge was right, but there were also that element of the speed run. And I remember going through facility, trying to beat facility in under a minute, using tactics like picking up armor and a grenade launcher so you could intentionally hurt yourself with the grenade launcher to propel you forward a little bit faster. <laughs> uh, stuff like that just made it really, really fun. And that's not even talking about the multiplayer aspect of things. The multiplayer aspect had so many, so many uh, like varieties to it that you could choose any level that you wanted to. You could choose different levels of guns. You could choose different characters. And by the way, if you chose Odd Job in multiplayer, you were an asshole because <laughs> Odd Job was the guy that was shorter than everybody. So you couldn't get those headshots unless you really worked at it. Um, so if you were that person that chose Odd Job, you're a dick. But if you're that character that chose Jaws, 
you're a champ because Jaws was like the easiest one to kill. He had the biggest body mass. And the weapons, man, I can't tell you how many times I killed somebody with the proximity mine and pissed them off because there were card readers on certain doors. And if you threw a proximity mine at the card reader, it would go inside the card reader so you couldn't see it anymore. Little details like that. So somebody walks by the card reader, they don't see the proximity mine and they just get blown up and they're just so pissed off. It, it, it such a detailed game. And I think that's one of the things that I thought was really cool about it. And of course, the multiplayer aspect, which is just a it's a thing you have to have now on first person shooters. If it doesn't have multiplayer, it doesn't exist. It's kind of one of those things where a lot of people will pick up the game and just play the multiplayer. They don't even play the single player or they're just multiplayer. They don't even have a single player. And back then, this was an add on to the game that was proposed late in the game. It was like the developers had this game ready to go. And then they came in one day and said, hey, what if we made it so you could play four players? And then they just started doing that and, and came up with it. So, yeah, when I think about the, the things this game does well, it did them so well that all of the first person shooters today have elements of what you saw in GoldenEye. It wasn't the first first person shooter. We already mentioned Doom, uh, Wolfenstein. Games like Soldier of Fortune were probably in the same area. Like there were first person shooters, but none of them were as fun or as detailed as GoldenEye was. And I think that's what it brought to the table, made it so influential. And now when you play any of these games, Call of Duty, Battlefield, whatever, there are things that we have to owe to GoldenEye. Hell, some of the people that worked on GoldenEye work on games like Call of Duty. And, you know, they're bringing that same stuff to the table. That's on me ripping up my notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, you, you, you did a very good job, like describing the appeal and also the influence that this game had. Uh, it was either the first or the popularizer of a lot of first-person shooter language, really, uh, especially on the console, because you know, you, like you said, there was Dune, but that was a PC game primarily. There were ports for it, but you wouldn't want to play the port if you could play the PC version because it was built for that kind of button layout. You know, until later in 1997, maybe that they wouldn't even have DualShock as a dual analog controllers. Like this game alone, like you play it on the Nintendo 64, you have one analog stick to move and then you're using the face buttons to do your best. But <laughs> yeah, it did so much despite the limitations that it had. Uh, this is the game that popularized using a scope for sniping. Could you imagine video games without that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Virtua Cop, which was an on rails uh, light gun shooter game that you would play in an arcade. And this game took that influence and put it onto the way that you shot enemies, like the way you were talking about shooting off hats or shooting their hands. Fairly new concept, at least for the first person shooter genre specifically. Shooting somebody in the head and then dying quicker than if you just shot them in a the chest. Like I think Team Fortress Classic, the the Quake version of the game, they would have headshots, but they didn't have like the convoluted. NPCs flopping on the floor, dying and twitching on the ground because you just unloaded six shots into their body. <laughs> it, it was a an extremely violent game, so much so to the point that Miyamoto uh, from Nintendo uh, offered a note saying, "Like this is really violent. Could you like make it so at the end of the game, like all the characters come out and shake hands, so we know that they didn't really <laughs> die violent deaths?" And Rare was like, "Well, no, uh, <laughs> they we can died." they did but they didn't fully lead into that either they, i think uh the compromise was they made it at the end so the credits actually show 
the names of the characters as like as if yeah. there are movie credits and it's yep. like and the russian soldiers are russian <laughs> and civilians like, yeah this, they would just credit them as if they were actors and i really like that because the way that the credits are stylized too it credits the developers of the game like they were um filmmakers like they describe the jobs like costuming and directing and everything like that i just i just found that to be really cool so it's a really cool note that adds to the uh feeling of this feeling like a video game adaptation of a movie for that single player campaign and i really like that another thing you uh, gestured at was the objectives and that's the thing that i love about this game that i wish more games would do today because like you said, so many video games have taken inspiration from this game, but I feel like they haven't taken enough inspiration in the grand scheme of things because so many first-person shooter games, their campaigns are very linear, rundown hallways, go from this set piece to this set piece kind of thing. And GoldenEye yeah. is just kind of like, here is a space for you to wander around in and complete X amount of objectives before you can go out on that exit at the end of the level. And I love that idea more. And if you crank up the difficulty, it's not simply, oh, it takes more shots to kill people or you have less health and the enemies have more health. It is here are more objectives you have to do uh, before you can leave this level. And that changes your relationship with the space that they developed. I, I love that. I wish games would do that more. That, that was the thing that really stuck out to me playing it. It's just like it, this felt pretty modern and still feels like something we can continue to learn from in the in the grand scheme of things. I know games like Thief obviously took direct inspiration from GoldenEye 007 and using those objective-based mission structures as well as the stealth components that you talked about, but I wish it I wish that had stuck for longer. Yeah, the stealth components were something that always impressed me. Like you had to take the cameras out and you had to take the alarm panel out, and if you didn't and some enemy saw you, they would run straight for that alarm panel. And if they hit that button, then there were a whole new slew of enemies coming in with like sunglasses on. And, you know, they were the real big hitters. They had different guns. And if you weren't good, you were probably going to die because that alarm got hit. Like I, I, I underestimated how important stealth was in the single player campaign, because for a while I could get by just shooting really well. But it really adds up in the later levels. I just sort of thought like, oh, it's not really stood. No, it's pretty, it's, it's basic stealth. It's not metal gear, but it is pretty, uh, pretty essential for you to at least go for it. If you don't want to lose all your health, because another thing this game does, it doesn't have the regenerative health that became standard through call of duty games. If, if you get to the bottom of your health bar, you lose all your health and die and you have to start the level yep. all over from start. <laughs> yeah. So frustrating when I was playing the the new version and, you know, I'm trying to play on double O agent and there are these objectives where it's like, how the hell did I do this when I was younger? I just don't have the same skill now. I think there was one objective like that, that I was like legitimately like, where the, f where, where is this? <laughs> but I can't, I, I, for the life of me, I can't remember. Definitely one of the later levels though. Those are some of the things this game did well. Like I said, it is tremendously influential and it's hard to say what you wish more games would do because so many games did take so much from it already. Sort of turning that question around a little bit, what do you wish this game did better? You know, there's only one thing I think that this game could have done better, and you had already mentioned it. The escort missions absolutely suck in this game because the character of Natalia is so dumb. She would constantly, like you said, get in the way of shots. And there's one mission that as I played through the new version, uh, it's... I, I forget what mission it's on, but I think it's the control room where she has to like hack a computer and you have to guard her 
while she's hacking this computer and they're quipping back and forth but there's so many enemies coming down and i just i had to come up with a strategy for it because she kept dying and it started to really piss me off but i think those escort missions are really the only thing i i don't love about the game everything else i absolutely love and the new game what what do i wish this game did better i wish it had online multiplayer because i think (laughs) that would be fun too then i can actually play with my friends around the country yeah no definitely it feels like for the xbox version at least like you could have a good multiplayer version going here I don't know why it was left out. I think the single player of GoldenEye is great, and I'm glad that you can at least still do local split screen. But man, I just wish that they were able to find a way to make the online stuff work, especially since there was a version that was 90% ready to go that they could have used. I don't know why they couldn't use that one as the official new release, but I digress. Yeah, no, the uh, the escort mission stuff is definitely... Uh, rough as soon as you mentioned it i immediately got war flashbacks to that natalia level you're mentioning it uh, you just (laughs) mentioned the one where she has to work at the computer and you have to protect her from all sides at first they're just sort of coming from like a couple directions and then it's sort of like oh here is a glass wall breaking down and here's another wave of enemies coming in oh god another glass wall is broken and now more enemies are coming and you just feel overwhelmed and i was like this is this is actually hard i'm glad i have the new modern control setup here otherwise i don't know how i would do this with uh with the response time that i currently have that was a that was a really hard level yeah that's the one that really started to piss me off when i was when i was playing the new version luckily i, I ended up beating it i ended up passing it yeah no the game never got that hard again even when you are the final boss is relatively easy after having to endure that it's not disappointing it's a it's a really cool set piece and i really enjoy that the way they were able to adapt it from the movie into the game but it, it was just like after that, that that felt like the real war. That felt like the real battle. Yeah, I will say once you start unlocking the bonus levels, it does get really hard when you have to fight Jaws. And then uh, in the final level, you fight Baron Samedi and uh, it does get really tough then. Yeah. One other note that I do have, and you can disagree if you want to, but I do think it wouldn't have been bad if they just failed you if you failed a mission objective instead of you having to restart the level yourself Mm -hmm. like if you shoot boris or something yeah like if you kill a character who wasn't supposed to die you can't beat the level but you can still continue playing in that space so if you want to end that run and start over which you're going to have to do anyway you would either have to get to the end of the mission it's just like it's just like they, they could have added the extra stuff of just losing anyway rather than like make me go through the humiliation of having to end end the failed run myself. I, I just <laughs> yeah. that that was that was definitely uh rough, especially when I'm doing that like uh Natalia thing where it's like I'm still being bombarded by enemies and now I'm able to go oh okay she's dead. Never mind I failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So that 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 and the Natalia AI, I do think that those are just the main two detracting points in my experience. Sure. How would you say that this game influenced your taste in the year since you've played it? Ooh, you know, well, it really made me fall in love with uh, with shooters. And it also really influenced like people coming over to my house. <laughs> once, <laughs> once I had this game with multiple controllers, people always wanted to come to my house, which was always really fun. Um, the other the other way that this game made an impact on me, though, was with an online community. So do you remember the contraption that you could toss a game into on top of and then put it into your console? It was called the Game Shark. Do you remember the Game Shark? Yeah, the cheat code thing. 
Yeah. So uh, I first heard about the Game Shark and I bought one and I used to go online to, this is, I mean, early days of the internet, uh, GeoCities websites, Angel Fire, shit like that. You remember those websites at all? Yeah, sure I do. So there were websites where people would post these GoldenEye 007 codes. And back then, GameShark stuff was very much, uh, you put in like a series of numbers and letters. If you've never seen a Game Shark before, you would basically put the game on top of the Game Shark, put it into your thing, and it would it would boot up to a Game Shark screen, and you could put in these codes that you would either find in magazines or find online that people would build. And you would enable different things in the game, like you put in one code and all the enemies would be wearing sunglasses or, or whatever. <laughs> and sometimes they were really cool sometimes they were really dumb but i started modifying these codes so i would go to school where i didn't have the internet at home but i had the internet at school so i would go to school i would write down a bunch of these codes in my notebook or i'd print them out on a computer or whatever and i would bring them home and i would start messing around with these codes and seeing what they did and then i would start developing my own codes branching off of those codes and back in the day, if you ever downloaded, well, I wouldn't say downloaded, if you would have ever put in a code in your Game Shark for a code where enemies died and stayed on the ground instead of disappearing, that code was developed by me. I started doing Game Shark codes and I had all kinds of codes that I had discovered or created because of just tinkering and messing around with stuff. And it, it gave me a whole new appreciation for the game when I was creating things that would make other people's experience online better. So I had one of those GeoCities websites where I had a bunch of those codes and people would come to me with their codes. And then all of a sudden it was this like online component that I never had before. And so that was another thing that this game gave me. I came up with a couple of other really cool codes for... I didn't, I didn't come up with this code, but there was somebody that came up with a code where if you go to the dam level in the beginning, the very first level, if you look off of the dam, you can see this little island that was originally intended to be a part of the game. You can only see it from the dam, and it's very far away. You can only see it like zooming in with your scope. But with those codes, you could get to that island. And there were so many other codes that me or other people came up with we found out that you could play as the other four bonds in multiplayer they were in the code originally for the game and sean connery timothy dalton and uh, george lazenby did not want their likeness associated with the game so they got taken out but they were still in the code of the game so if you had a game shark you could play as those people in multiplayer uh, you could play as George Clooney. You could play as David Letterman. People that clearly were only in there because the programmers needed faces in there. So they took these faces and used them and took them out of the game when it was time to ship. But the code was still in there. So there's so many things that we were able to unlock that even more so extended the enjoyment of that game. So I think that's another another thing that it did for me in terms of influence or impact. Uh, I also won a little bit of money playing in a GoldenEye 007 tournament locally. I got very, very good at this game to the point where uh, I was entering tournaments and winning money because of it. So yeah, I, I have always loved the game, but that was just another element to it. So in terms of influence, it definitely turned me on to online communities. That's incredible. I I really appreciate that. That is a very, um, very rich relationship to have with a video game. That kind of 
going on websites just to share codes and building a community off that. I, I genuinely love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. Now, this is a tremendously, tremendously, tremendously influential game. It made an impact on its players. It clearly made an impact on you. You've taken it with you in your everyday life when you were playing it. It, it, it changed how console shooters work. It changed how first-person shooters worked in general. It influenced games like Thief. It influenced games like Half-Life. It influenced games like Halo, Call of Duty. It changed the landscape of a genre. But it is based off of a movie uh, that came out, like I said, almost two years before this game even came out because they were developing it. It actually came out closer to the release of the follow-up to that movie, <laughs> if anything. It was boosting the Tomorrow Never Dies more than it was actually boosting GoldenEye by the time it came out. What do you yep. actually think of the GoldenEye movie, all things considered? Uh, I, th- I actually think I like the movie more now because I love the video game so much. I remember seeing it in theaters and I remember liking it. And recently I liked it. And, it, you know, outside of some dodgy CGI, it still pretty much holds up. I, I, I like it a lot. I, I still think it's a really good movie. It's got a really great set of villains. It's got a great turn that I remember in 1995 I did not see coming. It's got one of my favorite Bond girls because I have a huge crush on Famicom Jansen as uh, Xena on a top. So uh, you can't go wrong with her. And this was the brand new version of Bond, still just as horny, but way better looking than the Bonds that came before him. I still like the movie a lot. It's not my favorite Bond like you. My favorite Bond is Casino Royale. And Daniel Craig is still a great Bond. Uh, But, you know, I I still have a soft spot in my heart for Goldeneye, more so because I love the game than just the movie on its own merits. Right. The game is very faithful to the events depicted in the movie, but to drag the storyline out, it sort of fills in some missions that happen between the nine years from the intro to the uh, events for the rest of the movie after the cold open. So there's a lot of levels and set pieces and scenery that are just straight up not in the uh, the movie at all. There's levels that you revisit multiple times from like in different timelines. And that's very interesting because it's also one of those. It's one of those like I see how you're padding this out, but it's also like, oh, my God, that's so cool because I actually know the layout of this level. Hang on. But now it's different because I have to do it with. Oh, shit. She got shot. Well, OK, never mind. It's not as cool anymore. <laughs> now I have to break her out of jail. Yeah, I do also like the gadgetry in the game a lot. I do like that. Uh, you can use like a watch that can magnetize itself to pick up a key on a wall. More more games. Yeah, or do. laser laser stuff off the ground to get out of the train. Yeah, that that stuff's great. But I did revisit the movie because of the uh, this, this discussion. And you're right. It's a it holds up mostly well. It's interesting seeing what a modern bond was before the war on terror happens. And Daniel Craig just has to completely shift the tone. Not Daniel Craig specifically, but like that era of bond changes the tone significantly. Uh, Brosnan is sort of at this weird in-between where it's like, we're acknowledging third-wave feminism. We're acknowledging the fall of the Soviet Union. We're acknowledging all of these changes in the world that sort of puts Bond and his machismo at odds with the the world abroad. But all of that feels very, very quaint now that there are America is down two towers and people have died in the, the horrible senseless war. And here is an edgy, gritty Bond that is a representation of all of that anger and rage in, in that specific era of time. It is a lot more fun, and it's almost more wholesome and innocent fun as a Bond movie, even though it is still definitely trying to grapple with the modernity of the Bond character. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, but no, a fun time. Definitely, definitely check it out. It is the platonic ideal of a Bond movie. Like I, like I said, I, you know, Casino Royale is my favorite. But if you just want like straightforward, great Bond fun, 
GoldenEye is definitely one of the better movies. I know people aren't hot on the other Brosnan movies, but this was a very great demonstration of what a Brosnan Bond could have been like if it had a bit more, uh, like, I, like Brosnan could have been like, you know, no discussion, the best Bond if he had consistently maintained his quality throughout his run. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, they got real goofy at some point. Um, and Denise Richards, bless her heart, not a great Bond girl. There were some good things in those movies, in Tomorrow Never Dies, in The World Is Not Enough. But overall, it just it got too goofy for, for my taste. We started getting into the Timothy Dalton goofball stuff. And yeah, it just wasn't for me after GoldenEye until it got picked up by Daniel Craig. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think the thing about GoldenEye that worked about it so much is that it had this really smart sense of balance between the goofy and the modern, especially in like a, such a cynical era like the 90s where people were trying to uh, really lean into how edgy something could be. Sure. I think Brosnan was able to walk the line very well, whether a GoldenEye and the tone of the movie was able to match that. That covers just about everything I have to say about GoldenEye in terms of the game and the movie. I didn't want to make this a full-on analysis or oral history because we could talk for hours and hours about the impact but what about you is there anything else you want to say about goldeneye and its impact on you uh not not really i i will say that i think the cheats were another thing that it brought to a more mainstream thing a list of cheats that you could unlock and i we had a lot of fun using the paintball mode and multiplayer because you could see exactly where people got shot but yeah just overall just a really fun game we haven't given the multiplayer its due. Like you obviously talked about how, you know, it, it affected your social life and added so much life to this game. And it was just an afterthought by the developers because they were mainly focusing on the single player campaign for most of the development. But four player video games were just not a common thing. That was the whole selling point of the Nintendo 64. Having four player experiences that you could play with Star Fox and Mario Kart 64 and putting Goldeneye on that list. That is why the game is so popular. And you said that there's like the big head mode. There's the paintball yeah, no radar, no radar, which you, that was a must in my house. You got to have no radar on. Yeah, no radar. Uh, and the customizability of everything too, like having a showdown where everybody can only use proximity mines or something like that. I've, I've talked about this in like the Tekken 2 episode and any game that has like a multiplayer component. I miss just the, the highly customizability of a, a multiplayer match that you're about to get into. Being yeah. able to set your own rules and having house rules. I, I, I love that. And it is something that's kind of gone because the multiplayer experience has to sort of like make you play the game a certain way now. Yep. Our, uh, our ending was always when it was time for the last match. All right, everybody's got to go home. We did a slappers only match. Slappers only was that's when you were closing things down for the night. <laughs> Playing a song closing time all slapping the shit out of each other. <laughs> exactly. Jason, I had a really good time talking to you about GoldenEye. This is being able to come into this game that I'd only really had a passing relationship with, playing it at other people's house as a kid, playing it at a work function as a as a 22-year-old one time at work and getting my ass kicked because I wasn't super familiar with the game and I was playing with a bunch of 30-year-olds who did absolutely know what they were doing. Being able to actually fully experience this game and like having it in my hands, playing it myself, that was very nice. So thank you for putting this game in my lap. What would you recommend to listeners who enjoy the the game that we discussed today? Oh, well, I've got a couple of recommendations. So strap in here. We already mentioned gaming-wise, like literally any first-person shooter is going to give you a great experience these days. But if you're looking for something like GoldenEye, we mentioned Perfect Dark. It was the next game by these folks. Like I said, gets a little bit goofy, but it's got a really cool 
Um, a lot of great level designs, cool gadgets, and it's still a lot of fun. And you can play that one on Xbox or in the Rare Replay series. Um, there's another video game. So, uh, Kiefer, are you into VR yet? Do you have a, like a VR headset? Unfortunately, no. It is. It's a little bit outside of my uh, budget and spacing right now. Got it. Got it. But yeah. Um, so there is one of the best, I guess the best VR game out is Half-Life Alex, And of course, with PCs and stuff like that, people do mods. And if you are looking for the next level of this GoldenEye type of experience, there's a John Wick mod for Half-Life Alex that is absolutely incredible. It sticks you in an office building and you have to take out a bunch of bad guys and it feels like you're really there doing things getting shot i mean just mind-blowing so in terms of video games those are the games that i would recommend in terms of movies and tv shows so obviously it's based on the bond franchise but i'm going to give you a little bit of a deep cut here if you're looking for something that is violent it's like a violent 007 type of experience there's a movie from 1982 called the soldier have you ever heard of this movie i haven't what's it about uh, this is directed by James Glickenhaus, and it's about a uh, a soldier who le- he's literally just called the soldier in the movie. His name is m- never mentioned, but he is into a spy game type of thing like a 007 might be. But uh, just watch the opening of this movie, The Soldier, and you'll realize what a banger this movie is. It starts out with just a great drive by. There's an attempted assassination on a car and these assassins kill the assassins and it just kind of goes up from there it has some of that stuff that in in a less adept hands would come off as super goofy like a 007 movie there's a a chase on snow skis but this one ends up with people getting bloody it's a really really fun 1982 flick uh, i don't I, i'm pretty sure there's a blu-ray of it somewhere i don't have the blu-ray myself but you can find clips of it on YouTube, so check out The Soldier from 1982. Oh, I am seeing that Tangerine Dream did the score for it, so I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, they did. It's great. It's a great score. Uh, if you love the first-person shooter aspect, there's a movie that came out uh, five or six years ago called Hardcore Henry, which is basically a movie in first-person mode. It's a, it's a really fun movie. TV show, spy stuff. Uh, my favorite spy TV show and, you know, part of the allure of GoldenEye was at the beginning of the level, you actually like see yourself go into Bond's head to be that spy. If you want to get into the head of a spy, The Americans is a really fantastic spy TV show. And then mm-hmm. the last one I'm going to recommend here, and I think this is only going to you're only going to love this if you grew up with GoldenEye. There's a documentary that just came out called Golden Era. And it is all about the development of GoldenEye and the impact that GoldenEye has had. They talk to a lot of the developers who were involved in the making of. They talk about a lot of the stuff that we brought up here, but there's a, a ton more. So I would highly recommend if you if you love the game, check out Golden Era. A Vinegar Syndrome partner label just put this out. Um, I'm blanking on the studio that put it out, but you can get it from Vinegar Syndrome's website. Great recommendations. I'm only going to recommend two. Uh, because you were so all-encompassing with yours. The first one being Star Fox 64, because that was my four-player multiplayer experience on the Nintendo 64. Like I said, that was the selling point of the console. It was very much like a, here's a bunch of different game modes, let's go shoot at each other kind of experience. That was 
one of my favorite games on the Nintendo 64. Highly, highly recommend it. In terms of movies, you recommended The Soldier. I'm going to recommend something a bit more on the funny side. If you're familiar with movies like Airplane and The Naked Gun, you you are aware of those kinds of like parodies. But there's another movie that uh, the Zucker Abrams Zucker group did that was a you know sort of an action comedy spy film called Top Secret, and it stars Val Kilmer, like a super young Val Kilmer. This is 1984, and it's just a uh, an American rock star who who is going to perform at an East Germany cultural festival. And he just gets involved in this big James Bond like conspiracy, and he's just he's just a you know, a very attractive rock star is getting embroiled in all this. And it's really funny and it's a really underrated film. And I just do think more people should see that. Yeah, I agree. Great movie. If nothing else, watch the very first scene of that movie where there is a song called Skeet Surfing Playing, where people are skeet shooting while also surfing at the same time. And it's a Beach Boys parody. (laughs) And it is the funniest thing I have ever seen in my life. At least watch that scene because it is incredible. Agreed. Those are my two recommendations, Star Fox 64 and the film Top Secret. Jason, thank you so much for being on this episode with me today. I'm so glad we got to talk about this game. You're a wonderful guest. This is a wonderful game. Please, before you go, promote the hell out of yourself. Well, anywhere that you're listening to this, you can find my show, Force 5. There's something on that for everybody, much like this show. If you don't like top, you want to hear about top five Korean films, well, I got something that you're going to like. So yeah, anywhere you can find this show, you can find mine and you can also get a hold of me on Twitter at force five pod or on Instagram at force five podcast. I'm pretty active. I'm the only one that runs everything for my show. So if, if you're, uh, conversing with me on Twitter, it is me. Yeah. I just, I like to have a lot of fun with movies. And if you want more of force five, once you start liking it, I have a Patreon as well, where I do a bunch of exclusive shows and a different format where we do drafts for people's filmographies. So I got a lot out there. I got a lot of cool stuff coming up. So definitely check out the show. I'm sure you're going to find something that you're going to like. No, yeah. Jason and I are both kindred spirits in that we are both like single hosts with guest-driven podcasts who are completely running our own ship here. So please listen to his show. If you like movies, you'll more than likely like it. I love his show. And if you like what I have to say, you'll certainly like what he has to say too. So definitely give his show a listen. Thank you again, Jason, so much for being on this show. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I am your host, editor, and promoter, Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this. Engagement helps the show and your feedback will improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have any thoughts about GoldenEye007 or any other games we've discussed, send a DM or leave a comment and I will gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. You can also follow me at Danny Vegito on Twitter and find links to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. The art for this show was made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well as Jason's. Select and Start is on the Moonshot Network, which is supported by its own Patreon. Find out more on moonshotpods.com. All right, I think that's it. For England, James? No.
I am invincible!